Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today I'm talking with Jennifer Newbold, chef of Newbold Cuisine in Rockwell, Texas, private chef company. Jennifer, thanks for talking with us. You bet. Thank you. Yeah, happy to have you. So you grew up, born in Tacoma, Washington, grew up in the Pacific Northwest, hunting, fishing, and foraging. I love that you right away called out that your father was with you. How did foraging with, with dad really set the tone early in your life? Well, first of all, I mean, it was just getting me outdoors. You know, I mean, fortunately, my generation, you know, we didn't have a lot of technology. So we spent a lot of time outside. And I just remember every weekend, my dad taking me somewhere, whether it was duck hunting, I never would hunt like game or anything like that. It was always bird hunting. But you know, so we'd go duck hunting or pheasant hunting or grouse or quail or what have you. And then um, as I got a little bit older, it was more, hey, let's go, let's go pick some chanterelle mushrooms because they're, you know, prevalent in the Pacific Northwest. And now as a chef, knowing at the time, um, didn't know what a, you know, awesome mushroom it was and how hard they are to get sometimes and how expensive they are. And so it was just really cool that my dad taught me that and just would show me the ropes as far as, you know, he bought me books as to the right kinds of mushrooms to pick, um, you know, so we wouldn't eat something that would either make us sick or make us high, <laughs> which I used to joke about as I got older. But um, yeah, so I just thought that was really cool that that's something that I learned at such a, a young age. I think it's great. And, and you didn't realize how important maybe that was to later on in your career when you're paying 20 plus dollars yeah. a pound for chanterelle mushrooms. I mean, we would man, see, these things, yeah. I used to pick these everywhere just off the ground. We would have whatever they are. I think they're like five gallon buckets, you know, like those dill pickle buckets you get in the restaurant. And we would seriously come home with like four or five of those full, <laughs> you know, and it's like, can't even think of how much money that is right now. <laughs> you, if you would have uh, secured those uh, foraging locations, you'd be wealthy now for sure. I, I love know. that. So I we just like to dig into everyone's fridge. I learn a lot about people knowing the way that they eat at home and, and uh, the things that they prefer, prefer for themselves and their family. You said, though, that you never bartended. You worked every other position in a restaurant, never bartended, yet joked about how you do it often for yourself. And then said that you always have Espelon Blanco tequila and the ingredients for old fashioned. I co-sign on old fashioned. That is my go-to drink. The old, old fashioned. No cherry, no orange. Little nice. personal tidbit there. Uh-huh. That was great. The thing that really I love about what you said is you always have pancetta and brioche to make your husband's favorite salad. And we are so built to cook for others. And I think every time that we succeed, we're cooking for others. And then when we struggle, it's when we're cooking for ourselves. Talk to me about, first of all, what is the salad? I got to know about the salad. And then just I mean, <laughs> what it means to you to cook for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the salad is a really simple salad. It's just a mix of whatever greens I have available. Um, 
you know, I usually mix like three or four different greens and then just homemade balsamic vinaigrette, or sometimes it's a homemade apple cider vinaigrette. Either way, it's a homemade vinaigrette of some sort. And then I just buy really good quality brioche bread and I make croutons out of them that I cook in the fat renderings from the pancetta um, that I brown off first and just basically just mix that in. And it's to date my husband's most favorite thing ever. And he just, he actually says that all the time he just wants to have a crouton and pancetta salad that just has the vinaigrette and no greens because it's so good. Love it. So it's clear what his Anthony Bourdain death row yes. meal would be. That's already well, well established. Yes. For you, what is that? Just the, the pure oh joy God. of cooking for somebody else's joy. Like encapsulate that a little bit for us. I mean, you know, as chefs, we do, we get caught up in that we're just constantly cooking for others, cooking for others for complete strangers, you know, and, and it's rare that I really ever take the time and do cook for myself. I did, you know, when I was younger, because I was experimenting with a lot of things. But even now, I find that I'm always cooking for others. And to cook for, especially my husband, because he's just, he's my best friend, and he's my everything. And to see just how happy he is, you know, and just how grateful he is for everything that I do in order to provide for him that great meal. I mean, it just, it means the world to me. And even this Thanksgiving was the first Thanksgiving that I actually had with my parents in probably 10 years, just because of work schedules. And to just be able to cook for them, it, it, it really, it, it made my, it made my holiday for sure. Well, we can hang out anytime and drink old fashions and brioche <laughs> croutons cooked in pancetta. Yeah, I'm man. all about it. We always like to know a little something personal that is off the culinary radar potentially too. You are a badass bowler. Thought about going pro. I mean, talk to me about that, especially to the point of of the intensity and competition of bowling and maybe how you correlate that to getting your head kicked in with 400 covers in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> Um, well, bowling, it's just something that happened when I was younger. Um, I grew up as an only child, so, but I, fortunately I had a lot of cousins near me and they were, they all bowled. And so my uncle just came to my mom one day and said, Hey, you know, does Jennifer want to come bowling? You know, she does a bunch of other sports. Maybe she'd be interested in that. And so like other sports, it just came natural to me. I mean, I just got out there and started bowling and next thing I know, people are telling me that I'm good. And I'm this young kid that's carrying like a, 160 average at the age of, you know, 11 and 12 years old. I mean, that's like, that's crazy, you know? Um, and yeah. And then I just started doing a lot of tournaments, a lot of pro-am tournaments where I would, I would bowl, you know, alongside professionals. And unfortunately I'm that kind of person that when I just get really good at something, I get bored and I just stop. And that's kind of what happened with bowling. I just was like, eh, I'm good. I don't need to go. No, I'm good. You know? And so, um, I just think that, I don't know, I didn't perfect it by any means. I did miss a perfect game by one pin. The highest game I ever bowled was a 299, and that was crushing. Um, but, yeah, I just think that I just have that ethic and that dire, you know, to just to be the best. And that definitely, you know, correlates to being in the kitchen for sure. Not agree more. Yeah, I like that. So you and I met in 2011. We were both cooking at the Kentucky Derby. Taste of the NFL does their Derby event. Uh, amazing event. We could have a whole a whole podcast just talking about the happenings yes. behind the scenes of that event. What was interesting to me and kind of 
knowing you then, you moved to Colorado, and you and I have stayed connected ever since then. Uh, back down in Texas now, you were working with Kent Rathman at the time, amazing chef down in Texas, and he's got Abacus and Jaspers and Blue Plate. I know Blue Plate is where you had a big impact there. What I thought was the most interesting, though, was that you then went back down to Texas after your time in Colorado and opened up Komodo with Kent and that group as well. And I'm really interested in that because that doesn't happen very often. I feel like we are so quick to burn bridges in this industry. It's so emotionally charged that leaving too often is just a forest fire in your wake. And so to go back, what was it about them? And then what was it about you potentially that had that connection rekindle after so many years? That's what I'm kind of most interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when, when I left Blue Plate, you know, I or I should say uh, Kent Rathbun Concepts, that was the name of the group. And um, I definitely am one of those that never want to burn bridges because you just never know. Things come full circle in this industry. It's like you can say one thing about this one guy one time and you think it's never going to come back to haunt you, and it will. Because I've seen it happen, unfortunately, not, I mean, fortunately not with me because I don't do that, but I've seen it with other people and it's, that's, it's just no good. Um, but yeah, so I left and moved to Colorado and I left on great terms and we stayed in touch while I was in Colorado and, you know, Kent, uh, got word that Craig was retiring from the air force after 20 years and that Texas was potentially back on the table, which it was because Craig was offered a job back down here. But in my heart, I never wanted to come back to Texas. I thought, no way. I'm never moving back to Texas. Um, but then Kent called me and just basically told me what he wanted and that he wanted to open this restaurant and he wanted the food to be mine, that his name was going to be behind it, but that it was, he was doing it potentially, you know, for me. And so I really couldn't give up that opportunity because at that point I had never been part of an opening team, um, of a restaurant. I've always joined restaurants, you know, shortly after they've opened or what have you, or gone in and fixed them because, you know, they're at a tough spot but I've never had the opportunity to be an opening executive chef. So, you know, Craig and I discussed it and I just, I couldn't give up that opportunity. So, um, you know, I'm grateful that I, that he, you know, gave that opportunity to me. So. Um, yeah, what an honor to have somebody like Kent think of you in that way and, and build something around you. I think that's amazing. And opening restaurants, I tell everyone in the industry, open restaurants on somebody else's dime. You learn more and, <laughs> three months than you learn in three years most places a lot of it's what not to do but it's all learning if right. you can get some perspective from that I think that's great now that's huge I mean all of that with your career and, and Kent saying hey you're the one opening that you have your own business I love all those things however when asked what your proudest moment was you pointed out two things that I thought were just beautiful you said teaching a blind girl to bake cookies and advancing a dishwasher to pastry chef Tell me who these people are and, and why that of all things is so important because that is that is fundamental to what we're we're talking about here at Best Served. Yeah, I mean, a lot of chefs have these big accolades and things like that. And I've never really I've always kind of stayed under the radar. People that know me, you know, know me and they're like, God, she's awesome. She, you know, her food, this and that. But I'm just not about the showmanship, you know, and so like I mentioned in the past that, you know, people, somebody gave me a chance one time. So I'm always willing to be that chef to give others a chance. And so the young girl, and I'm really feeling terrible that I cannot remember her name right now. Um, um, I was working at a bakery that this was in Castle Rock, Colorado. 
And I was at the time a personal chef, but I also did this on the side and it was a special needs bakery. So I worked with, you know, all different age levels. Um, some, I think the, probably the youngest was, you know, still young adult, you know, like early twenties up into, you know, like fifties or sixties. Um, I'd have, we called them participants, um, that would come into the bakery and they would work with me and, you know, we would do the recipes together. And we were like a full service bakery. I'm talking, we were making dog treats for local pet stores. We were making all the baked goods for, you know, local restaurants and, um, the hospital and things like that. So, you know, we were, we were very busy. And so it was a challenge to, you know, basically my, my cooks, my bakers were, you know, people that, you know, couldn't read or people that, you know, were blind and things like that. And so the biggest joy was when I did get this blind girl and I thought, oh my gosh, how, how am I going to do this? You know? And so we didn't have anything in Braille, but obviously, you know, you could tell by feel the difference between a one cup measuring cup and a half a cup and a quarter cup and what a tablespoon feels like, things like that. And so I just did everything one step at a time. And I would read to her and tell her, you know, okay, we need to measure in one cup of sugar. We need to, you know, do one tablespoon of vanilla, yada, yada. And I taught her how to do that. I mean, I would talk her through it, but she still did it. And I didn't really have to do anything. And it was it just brought me such joy to see the joy on her face, you know, to know that she just did that. It was just, it was awesome. What you're saying is really important. There's a couple of things that, that definitely resonate when I hear you talking about this. And f before I get into that, what is the name of the bakery? Cause I think people would love to yeah. look this up. Um, it's called, and it is still, it is still open. It's called best buddies bakery and it's located in Castle Rock, Colorado. And right before um, I had left, we actually opened a coffee shop slash cafe where we were able to employ. Um, we didn't pay them an hourly rate or wage because we just basically took donations, but those donations would go, you know, into their pocket and into the program as well. Um, so I, I think that that part of it is still going, but for sure the bakery is still up and running. So that's and great. I like the alliteration of the name. I think that's a, an amazing mission. What was very interesting to me is I'm fascinated with communication and I talk about that a lot and there's a few people throughout my career that have really helped me redefine what communication was because it's not just talking, right? And so there was a, a gentleman I, I cooked with a tag restaurant named uh, Aislinn Spidell who was deaf and he could read lips really well. Mm -hmm. However, you couldn't just bark things at him and so I started techniques of touching him on the shoulder and I did this with other cooks too and it almost like slowed them down just that amount of human touch look him in the eye and call out something so I think that's really great and it's clear that you obviously learn a lot about communication being yeah. challenged in that way which I think is is really great and just the idea of advancing somebody from where they are to where they can go versus where you are and where you think they should go I think is really important as well those two things resonate with me uh you remember I know you say you forgot her name but who else worked with you there I would just love to hear some names of people maybe people that started the program running the program other people you remember because I think those those the who is so important I know I'm so bad um well Marty Jones was my direct um she was my boss basically she's the one who hired me um and then she is no longer with the company, but she definitely, she was, had been with them for a long time. And then Mary Lou Fenton is the, um, the founder. 
And the bakery itself is located at a church um, that had a full service commercial kitchen built out for this, um, this, this program, which is awesome. And so it's just the community definitely wraps its arms around it and it's very supportive. And it's, I know it's grown since I have left for sure. And it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And to the best of my knowledge, I believe they opened a second location too in downtown Castle Rock. So so good to hear yeah. this is officially the longest intro that we've ever had because your <laughs> intro was just so juicy so good so we like to break up some of the the deep emotional heavy stuff with a little bit of levity a little bit of fun and i always like to do a little research i'm such a geek and it gives me opportunity to think about my guests a little bit and uh bring just some 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 knowledge on top of just that that humanity piece of what we're always talking about. So looking into knowing and looking into kind of what you've been up to and seeing that you're always talking about a, a plant-based diet and being very interested in that. I wanted to play a best served on icebreaker game called plant-based dream team. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to take different categories of plant-based foods and you are going to draft your dream team. You're going to pick who uh, what basically plant you would pick within these these categories and give us a little bit of the the why of, of what what would make these your candidates for the dream team so you ready to play i think so i'm a little nervous all right <laughs> Hope I know there's, my stuff. <laughs> there's you just got to go from the heart and the guts and they okay. are connected as you know well so First draft, I mean, a plant-based diet, we got to start with a vegetable. So you're picking your first draft, one vegetable that is going to be the nucleus of your dream team. What vegetable and why? What vegetable? Um, I'm actually going to pick bok choy. Okay. <laughs> I like it. We are, we are increasing the lexicon of the Americana and bok choy. What is it about? the Japanese cabbage family, mm -hmm. excuse me, the, the Chinese cabbage family ingredient commonly used in Japanese cuisine. There you go, yep. That makes it your first draft of vegetable. Well, I love bok choy. Well, there's, you know, a couple varieties. You know, you can have baby bok choy, which is like what you see a lot of times, especially, you know, in um, a lot of, you know, restaurants because it's delicate and it's easy to just like cook the whole thing. And then you just have bok choy, which is, you know, bigger and clunkier. And a lot of people are like, don't know what to do with this. And I just love it because it's versatile. It, you know, you can take the, on the regular bok choy, the big bok choy, you can take the white parts and take the leaves off and you can kind of cook them in two different fashions. You know, I love getting that hard sear on, on the, the white, you know, it's almost like similar to like a celery kind of a texture and it just doesn't really taste like a whole lot, but it's so good for you. It's got tons of antioxidants, tons of just immune boosting um, vitamins and minerals. And it's, I don't know. And flavor wise, because it really doesn't taste like a whole lot, doesn't taste like, normal cabbage doesn't have a strong smell or anything it just soaks up anything you want to throw in there like if you want to throw some sambal in there or some gochujang or something you know it just really i don't know it's just awesome stuff my my japanese heritage is swelling with pride right now i love to hear that you didn't say broccoli which i also love 
but I think that's I think that's really great. Just somebody is listening to this going, what the fuck is bok choy? And they're gonna go exactly. try it. And I think it's exactly. I think it's amazing. So I love hearing that. You did uh, you did the vegetable world proud on that one. All right. Good. Another important element of the plant-based diet is the legume, which is just the weirdest word to say. Uh -huh. You gotta pick you gotta pick a legume as your first draft. Tell oh us what goodness. and why. Oh my goodness, that's hard. There's so many good ones. And then there's just like the everyday ones. I mean, honestly, in my house, I mean, I always have, I always have black beans. I love, I love black beans, you know, black beans and rice. Again, you can kind of even take a can of black beans and like you can ferment them and make them funky and you can put them even with the bok choy if you wanted to. Um, but, you know, you mix the black beans with like, even just brown rice and you complete, you make a complete protein that, you know, contains more protein than if you were to eat a steak. And most people don't know that, you know? So yeah, I'm going to go with black bean. You're, you're winning this game. I don't, I don't know that <laughs> you're, I don't know that you can win this game, but you're definitely winning this game. I love everything that you're saying. You said fermented, you know how much I love that. You're yeah, in the cabbage sure. family <laughs> and you're going Asian you beans was important you know i was like this is a texas girl if she doesn't say beans i feel like there's going to be a problem so right. i'm i'm glad i'm glad you went there all right you got to you got to pick a fruit on your team what fruit and why well i'm going to pick what fruit i'm going to pick avocado that's a fruit right and it's full of good healthy fats and again that's that's good with some black i mean that's good with all that stuff um I eat avocado almost every single day. It's good for our hair. It's good for our skin. Um, I, I cook with the oil. I mean, I just, yeah, I'm going to go avocado. Jennifer, I knew we were friends before this, but <laughs> we are like homies for life. California boy, avocado cut in half yes. with some salt, pepper, and a little bit of whatever the dressing of the day is, is, is life. I yep. have half a dozen avocados at my house it is my breakfast two eggs and an avocado cut in half with some gerard shout out to gerard's light champagne dressing one of the most nice. the, the pre-bought food product that has somehow stayed a staple through all these years uh <laughs> avocado is great i like the twist you know avocado is a fruit well played yeah, yeah well and played. i don't really and honestly i it's bad. I don't eat a lot of fruit. I really don't. And it's not necessarily because of the sugar or anything. I'm just, I just don't eat a lot of fruit, you know? So, but I always have avocado at my house. So that's, that's what I had to go with. <laughs> All right. Now we got to get into the chefy stuff because uh, we got to add some depth, some layers, some flavors to, to everything always. So you got an herb and I know a very important ingredient in our pantry, in our fridge. What's an herb? that you're picking for your plant-based diet. You got one, you got one. Oh my God, there's two. One finishing flavor profile. There's one two that depth. go with that. All right, you got, you got to pick one with it. We'll give you just a little asterisk next to it. So what's the one? And then you can okay. give a shout out to the second. Okay, my one is Thai basil because of the, just, again, it just ties really well with all those ingredients and it's good for you it's it's beautiful um it's different than your regular italian variety of basil um it's it's still pungent you know in the right kind of way you know i make a lot of spring rolls a lot of rice you know rice paper spring rolls that's kind of another one of our staples that my husband and i have all the time and so i just always have thai basil in the fridge because it's just so good 
Sam All right, the shout-out for that second one. It doesn't get the why. It just gets a name yep. shout-out. It's got to be cilantro for the okay. same reason. Same reason. Very good. Thai basil is good because, it's again, you're introducing people to something a little bit new, and cilantro is so love and hate on a biological exactly. level versus exactly. just, you know, that, that soap that people get from it. Right. They can't help themselves. I also like that you basically are composing a dish right now, which is great. So let's, <laughs> let's add a little spice to this dish. What spice is your first draft to round out your five-member dream team of ingredients for a plant-based diet? I'm going to go togarashi is good. Or um, just like a Korean, uh, just a dried Korean red chili that, you know, that you make basically your base for, you know, making a gochujang or something like that. You know, if I had to pick a spice, it would be one of those two. I like it. Bok choy, black beans, avocado, Thai basil, and maybe some of the gochugaru or the togarashi, Thank depending you, on if you're going Korean or going Japanese. That is a winning dream team if I've ever heard one. Thank you for playing plant-based dream team. I didn't do too bad. <laughs> Pretty good. You, you made the uh, plant-based world very, very proud. All right, that was fun. So let's get deep into some of the humans that have impacted your life, your career. We always like to start at the beginning. So talk about the first person that really you can think back to now, somebody that just crystallized what it is now that you take on as a chef, as a, as a, as a wife, as a human in this world talk to us about that first person gonna say the very first person is i mean indirectly is my father um just because he did teach me the basics of you know how to grow your own vegetables and how to you know clean your own bird and do all that and then how you know to take those mushrooms that you that we just forage and turn it into an amazing soup um but like i said at the time i never thought that i was you know, becoming a chef was something that just happened. It was never even something that until later in my life that I aspired to be. But I'm going to say that he is by far my number one as far as person that probably had any type of influence on me um, going like way back. Yeah. And why, why now looking back at that, do you see those moments, those teachings being so paramount to, to you as a chef? I'm going to say because, uh, you know, other than learning on the job, you know, I've never been formally trained um, aside from, you know, a couple chefs that took me under their, you know, their wing and showed me the ropes. But even then it was, they would push me to teach myself, you know, they'd give me guidance, but it was still me teaching myself. Um, I did not go to culinary school, anything like that. And so I think just looking back and we all as adults, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, I remember cooking with grandma or I remember cooking with mom or dad, you know, that's just, that is truly where it started. I mean, I think the reason that I felt so comfortable in the kitchen is because I knew how to hold a knife young at age and I knew how to clean those mushrooms and, you know, butcher that bird and things like that. But again, at the time, I didn't think anything of it, you know, but now looking back, it's like, wow, I actually was quote unquote formally trained just you know by my father i'm interested knowing that your your actually your grandfather was a chef skipped over a generation to you what was it like when there was reminiscence from your father about uh about your grandfather or just 
the opportunity. And the reason that I ask this is there's a lot of people in the industry that get the, when are you going to get a real job? And I'm interested in that sure. dynamic. <laughs> I, I was, I'm from a restaurant family, five generations. Like they've been very successful. So I never felt that. I felt empowered by that. And I've also heard people that have some legacy in their family who their family's like, you're not going to be a fucking chef. You're going to, you're going to go and do something better, something different, because right. this shit is crazy. So I'm interested just in that dynamic when there's some family history there. Maybe talk about that through the lens of how that was brought out early on, maybe through your dad. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny that you say that because my grandmother, so it's my, my dad's mother, um, was not at all supportive of me when I told her that I was going to get into the, the industry and I was going to you know, aspire to be a chef because she, she you know, as a wife to a chef, you know, and she was a short order cook for many years, you know, in her eyes, she just kept telling me it's, it's no place for a woman. Women don't belong in there and this and that. And, she, you know, and bottom line, she did want better for me. You know, it is a tough life and you work a lot for a little, you know, and I think my father at the time had a little bit of that feeling in him too, that, you know, he really wanted me to pursue my dreams as I believe it or not, I want wanted to be you know in forensics and you know or psychology and that's what I was going to school for at the time but he also is supportive and knows that when I say I'm going to do something I'm going to do it and so he just allowed me to to go in that direction but yeah I mean it's true um they definitely knew that it would be a tough road but that they still they were supportive 100 percent no place for a woman knowing how competitive <laughs> and what a badass you are I can just it's imagine crazy. that being a reverse mantra. Like, I'm going to show you. Kind of. Yep. That's pretty much. Yep. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yep. Challenge accepted. Exactly. I dig that. I bowled at 299. You're not going to stop me from being <laughs> in the kitchen. It's, this is great, great stuff. All right. So move us forward a little bit uh, in your life, in your career. Maybe somebody early on that crystallized what it meant to be in the industry or or you know, kind of believed in you early on as far as being a cook, a chef? Yes. Um, so I met my husband early. So we met when we were actually met on our 19th birthday. We have the exact same birthday. Um, and so we, you know, met, fell in love, that whole story. And I left University of Montana and followed him. And that's when I realized, oh, I need to get a job. And so, you know, I was working at a busy downtown bakery in downtown Spokane, Washington. And at the time I was, you know, managing this uh, bakery and also doing some of the baking and such. But back in those days, <laughs> you know, minimum wage was, I was still making minimum wage or just barely over minimum wage as a manager. So I was making, I don't know, like $7 an hour or something like that. And so I, I needed a second job. And so Mizuna is a, um, or was at the time, an upscale vegetarian slash vegan restaurant right in downtown Spokane, just a few feet away from the convention center. And it was, you know, for its time, it was an amazing restaurant. I mean, they just had so many accolades at that place because it was finer dining and because it was all vegetarian and vegan, it was just at the time, not as you know, not as heard of, you know, and so I went and applied. I don't even think I knew that they were hiring at the time. I just literally walked in the door and I, I knew I wanted a job there. And so I was interviewed by Tanya Schemmel. That was her name at the time. I know she's married now um, and I can't think of what her uh, married name is, but 
And we sat and we just talked and I told her what I was looking for and that I was just trying to get as much experience that I could because I knew this was a, a road that I wanted to, you know, to start, start getting on. And so at the time she's like, you know, I, I'm really looking for somebody with experience because I'm looking for somebody to, you know, run the whole entire lunch shift by themselves. And, you know, she's like, ah, you just don't have the experience. And so I understood, you know, I just walked away, shook her hand and I totally got it. And, oh, and then also I had, I was opening up front with her at the time and had told her that, you know, my husband had orders at the time and that we were going to be moving to Illinois in a matter of like six to eight months. And so that it would be basically a short-term thing anyways. But anyway, so she ended up calling me, you know, literally a couple days later and her exact words were, you know, Jennifer, I just had a really good feeling about you. And even though I know you're going to leave, I just feel that I'd be better off in my career, having worked with you for the six or eight months and never working with you at all. And I was just like, wow, you know, I was floored because here, here I am this, I mean, at the time I was probably 20. Yeah. 20, maybe I was just about to turn 21 actually. And, you know, she just, she gave me this opportunity and I was, you know, to put up on the, I mean, I was scared shitless because I knew nothing, you know, about working a line or doing any of that, let alone doing it by myself. But she just, she took me under a wing and she showed me the ropes. And before I knew it, I was running that entire lunch line, like, like no problem at all. And you know, why do you think she gave different. you that opportunity? I'm very interested yeah. in that, that there was something about you, that feeling that she had and just went with it. Why? You know, she just said she, it was just our conversation about my, I guess my dedication and that I basically was just upfront with her and said, you know, I, I have this feeling that I want to be a chef and that I know that I need to get my foot in the door somewhere to gain the experience because I didn't go to culinary school, that I feel good about working in a kitchen because at that time I, you know, I was, I had been working in the bakery and, you know, doing like short order kind of, you know, service, but just not that full service type thing. And that I just, I wanted the opportunity and I just basically promised her that I would, I would put in the work and that she wouldn't be sorry because like I had always told my parents and let, you know, that if I want to do something, I'm going to do it and just give me the opportunity. And she did. And I, to this day, I'm forever grateful. I think it's also great. We just joked about it a little bit of, you know, the women in the kitchen having such a, a positive and early influence and role model Absolutely. and seeing somebody else saying, I see myself right here right now at that young age i think that's that's really important so i love that you had that opportunity because not enough women do have that opportunity i think it's really really great do you remember anybody else from those those mizuna days i'm always looking for those unsung hospitality heroes you remember anybody else from those days well her so it was tanya schemmel and then sylvia her name now is sylvia fontaine and she's actually the food um blogger and chef of feasting at home which you may be very familiar with they have like thirty-three thousand followers or something like that on instagram yes i actually yeah she and tanya were college roommates and very good friends and they were partners in mizuna so they're both chefs um but they would kind of switch off so like for that entire time that i was there Tanya was the acting chef and was the one that was in the kitchen and doing the work. And Sylvia was running all of the front of the house. And then, you know, every year or so they would kind of swap and then Sylvia would be in the kitchen and then Tanya would be running the front of the house, that kind of a thing. So they had a really good dynamic 
going on. And again, it was just very cool for me at that young age as a woman to work for two who I looked at and still do today at just two such powerful women that they just knew what the hell they were doing and they were succeeding, you know? And even now seeing what Sylvia's doing on her blog, I mean, I'm just at awe at what she, what she's done, you know, for herself. So it's pretty awesome. And so was hiring women an important part of their, of their business model to try and empower women and have Now that, that I be- look back, because, you know, like I said, I worked lunch and I was there by myself. So I didn't see a lot of the PM crew. But now looking back, you know, when I would be leaving, a majority of the people that would be coming through the door were women that were working in the kitchen. I mean, I knew there were, there were a couple men, you know, um, in front of the house. There were definitely some men. Um, I cannot think of the young man's name who was basically ran the whole front during the day when I was there at lunch. Um, God, I cannot think of his name. That was so many years this ago. This is the fun part about this, Jennifer, is, <laughs> is you're going to, I can tell it's, it's killing you to not remember some of these people's names. And that's the challenge that I'm putting on Huge, you and everybody yeah. is you're going to remember them. And what's going to happen is you're going to reach out to them for the first time. You're going to reach out to somebody else and say, Sylvia, who is that person I'm going that was to, running yeah. front of house with you? And that's what I yes. love. That's, that's and I totally will what we're because trying was, to create here. Yeah, and he was somebody that I remember. And again, I was only there for maybe eight months, you know, but we still developed a, a good working relationship. And, you know, I still learned a little bit about front of the house from him, you know? And so, God, I really wish, but that gosh, that was in 1990, that was 96, 97. I mean, that's like forever ago, it seems like. So yeah, I will definitely find out who, what his name was, but really those three people, Tanya, Sylvia, and that young man were really the three people that I really only dealt with on a day-to-day at Mizuna. I never really worked with anybody else. It's great because then you're going to find out his name. He's going to point out some other people that were there at that time. Yeah. And I just think that that's what this is about. Is The more that we talk about our unsung hospitality heroes, the who behind us, the better off we're going to be. So I love that. So move us forward now a little bit. You've got this foundation, strong women in the kitchen. Absolutely love that that was your entree into the industry in a meaningful way. Move us forward a little bit. Give us somebody else that really had a major influence on you or that allowed you to have an influence on them. Okay, so that was when I was, we were in Spokane, Washington. So then our next um, stint was, Craig was then um, stationed at Scott Air Force Base, which is in um, Belleville or O'Fallon, Illinois. So we were basically on the border of, you know, uh, the Missouri, Illinois border. And so I actually worked in St. Louis for almost near just under seven years. That was our longest stint anywhere. And I would say my time in St. Louis was the very first time because it was there for that long that I kind of did. I hate to use the term bounce around because I would be at certain places for a couple years at a time, but I definitely gained a lot more um, experience during that time. I worked in a variety of different restaurants um, you know, either fast pace or I worked at a country club, I worked at a golf course. Um, but I'm going to say that my time there working with um, Patricia and Dan Belmont, they were owners of, it's going to come to me, uh, Cafe de Manil, which is in the um, historic and the Soulard district in St. Louis. So it's a, um, at the time, or still is one of the haunted mansions that's there right next to Lemp Mansion. And I, at the time, um, you know, I was just, I was out of uh, a previous job. Unfortunately, I left on kind of 
bad terms, not with me, um, but it was the owner um, was a really bad guy. So I, I just, I kind of had to leave. And so I, I needed a job. And so same thing, you know, I met with her and her husband and I had never worked anywhere that really did weddings or a big venue like that. And she hired me and they were two of the, two of the, you know, greatest people as a husband and wife team that I'd ever, you know, that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. It was, they were great. Why do you think so fondly back on them now that you kind of are reflecting yeah. onto that time? I think just because they were just, they were good people, you know, they treated me as if I was their daughter, you know, um, they, they cared about me. They cared about my husband, you know, they, they're just overall demeanor and the way they treated their employees was to this date, something I've never seen before, you know, like they just, they treated us all like family. Um, give give know, us some tidbits. Uh, this is good, good stuff. Because we need, we need more, we need more of that positivity. Absolutely. Give it, I love the isms. Are there some little isms or some little practical things that we can really take and say, oh, I should do that with my staff. Because one of my goals is somebody listens to this and just, for example, we're talking about family meal and a chef yeah. goes and cooks family meal for his staff for the first time in six months. That is a win beyond measure for me personally in the goal of this whole podcast, this whole best served crazy idea, right? Of why yeah. and who over what and how. So any, I love the, I love the broad sweeping there, just the best people. I do right. love if there's just a little nugget or two that you can give us to, to maybe that we can take with us and, and use. Um, I just, I just remember them being the kind of people that, you know, they would invite my husband and I over for family dinner to join their family, you know, because they knew that it was just my husband and I, you know, we, we didn't have kids at the time. We still don't have kids. We didn't have any family in the area. And so on our off time, even though, you know, I would spend a lot of the time at the, at the restaurant and, and, and around them that they would still want me to be a part of their life, you know? And so they would invite us over for dinner. They would, um, they would actually pay for me to have massages every now and again, because they knew that I was on my feet and they knew that I wasn't going to pay for it for myself because I, they knew how much I was making, obviously, but they also knew that I just wasn't going to do that for myself because I am very guilty of, of just not spending the money on myself and doing those special things. Uh, you know, so they would do, do those kinds of things. And if I was working a lot of hours, you know, they would sit me down and they would say, Hey, let's figure out a way to, to get you some time off. You know, Patricia would say, Hey, I'll, I'll, t I'll work your shift tonight or I'll, I'll do this service. You know, you, you take the night off that kind of thing. And that's just, who does that? As an owner. Good people that get shout outs on podcasts like this. That's, <laughs> yeah. that is how you put positivity in the world. And then it comes back. Even the fact that they may not have even thought of that as going above and beyond. But no, now that I you've been in the industry for so long, you know, yeah. that is light years ahead of the way that we think about it. So those are three amazing things. The fact that they're inviting you into their life outside of the professional setting I think it's important. And that's different than going and getting some drinks and buying around, getting fucked Absolutely. up with the crew. That's important Absolutely. too. You know, there's, yeah. there's a balancing <laughs> act there to like feeling like that you guys conquered something and do something together. It's also a balancing act of, you know, mental health issues and substance abuse. That's a whole other thing. But I like right. that they said, we, we like you. <laughs> and that yeah. goes a long way. We're going to invite you into our home. I think the fact that they paid for massages, just taking care of our bodies Right. such an important thing we we 
we eat the worst and take care of our bodies the worst of almost any industry. So I love hearing that. Absolutely. And the fact that they'd say, hey, let's work some less hours. Because you know what? Sometimes we put ourselves into martyrdom. So you know what? I'm going to outwork everybody. And I got to be here 70 hours this week. Yes. Maybe you don't. Maybe you are just playing the hero a little more than you need to. So take your day off and chill out. We got this. I'm really glad you just said that because I – that really is, has always been my biggest issue. And that's what my husband's always said is like, you are a martyr. You do not have to be there all those hours, you know? And it's just, it's a, you know, it is a control thing, right? I mean, we care, we want the product to be a certain way and, but we have to trust that other people are, you know, that we've, you know, groomed our cooks and our sous chefs and stuff to do the same quality of work that we do when we're not there, but yet we still, we just can't let go. And it's so true. Crazy. So true. It's our strength and our weakness. It absolutely is yeah. like, like most things. Uh, another opportunity. You remember anybody from the Belmont uh, days working with the Belmonts that you want to give a little bit of a shout out? So the main person that I remember, there's two. No, sorry. So the main person I remember is um, Shane. Totally not going to remember his last name. And he and I were basically, we were the only two cooks there. And so he and I just worked side by side. And when I say that the Belmonts opened their, their doors to, you know, to their um, employees, I mean, he was one of them too. It was, you know, him and I, we were like, basically, we were it. Um, everybody else was pretty much part-time because it was a wedding venue. We were open for lunch, but it was, you know, being a little haunted, you know, um, mansion in St. Louis. I mean, it's not like you'd have, you know, you wouldn't be doing 150 covers lunch. You'd be doing like, 30, you know, and you're thinking you're really busy, but you're also prepping and getting ready for the wedding that night or the next day or what have you. And so a lot of the lunches, it was just Patricia and her husband, Dan, that were, that were running the floor. And then Shane and I were in the kitchen and that was It's it. a very, very niche audience that you're cooking yeah. for there for sure. So, all right, we're about to get into your, one of your unsung hospitality heroes of my favorite times. I also just wanted to go back and put you more, more pressure on you and feel, make you feel more guilty if you don't remember people's names. But Rathman Concepts, such a big part of your professional career. Shout out some people, some dishwashers, some line cooks, prep cooks, pastry cooks, anybody that you can remember. Throw their names out there so that they can be a part of your story as well. Absolutely. So um, the one person that when you said one of the most memorable or um, memorable or proudest moments in my career is um, Alistair Gonzalez was um, – he was actually a dishwasher of mine when I was at Blue Plate Kitchen and just a young, young kid. Um, and I just saw potential in him. You know, he didn't want to just be a dishwasher. He had two young babies at home at the time and, you know, he wanted to better himself and make more money. And so, but he didn't have any experience. And so I just slowly, you know, I trained him to be a prep cook. And then he was watching me do pastries because at, at the time I kind of, did I kind of did all the pastries, you know, even as the, you know, executive chef there, but we were kind of, again, it wasn't a huge restaurant, so I could, I could manage that. But as we started getting busier, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this kid into a pastry cook and, and, and pretty close to a pastry chef, to be honest. And so I did. And then he ended up when I moved back, he came and he was my pastry uh, chef at Emoto. So it came full circle that I hired him back. So um, so he was one that I definitely remember. Um, my old crew, um, kitchen-wise, gosh, you know, like Charles Austell's one that um, I, I remember bringing him in, and he was one of my just diehard, you know, line cooks. Uh, Tingas, 
can't think of, uh, or Martin Yanito is actually his name. Um, he was one that was um, one of my line cooks at Same Thing. He was with me from Blue Plate Kitchen, and then he came over when I moved back, and he came and worked with me at Emoto. So that's one good thing about I didn't burn any bridges in that, you know, I came back when I opened Emoto. I, I actually had to turn people away. I had so many people that wanted to work with me again. So that's Jennifer, always, that that's is everything. Honor. That's an I love that you brought a black, full circle back to the burning bridges that we talked about because we think about that at the high level. We sometimes just chum through people and I've been so guilty of it so often. Whenever I've failed in my career, it's because I took people for granted. Whenever I succeeded, it's because I realized that I work for them and that I am lucky and honored that they give me the privilege to lead them. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, it's clear that that is super important and and fundamental to the way that you approach it. And the fact that they all said, Jennifer's coming back, I'm in, whatever. Oh, I don't true. care if we're going from blue plate <laughs> to now we're doing bok choy with togarashi <laughs> and avocado, I'm game. So I really, really can appreciate that. That says a lot. Just that the fact that your people love you says all that you need to know. That is a perfect segue into, tell us about one of your unsung hospitality heroes that we need to be paying more attention to. Yes. So after, so after Scott Air Force Base, then my husband was um, reassigned to um, a private sector in Rancho Bernardo, which is not too far from San Diego. Um, and or sorry, yeah, just yeah, in San Diego, California. So Rancho Bernardo was just like a little private sector, and so at the time, um, so I had left. So I think when I left. St. Louis, I, I had left Cafe de Manil. That's, that's who I was working for. And so then here I am quite a few, few years into, the, into my experience and I wanted to get with a really big restaurant group because I just knew that that was gonna be, that was gonna be huge for my career. And so Cone Restaurant Group is in San Diego, California. And to this day, they are like, they are ginormous. They just own so many restaurants in that area. And they've, you know, they have a lot of really good chefs within their company. And so I went and worked at uh, Blue Point Coastal Cuisine and I really wanted to get a sous chef position at the time. And unfortunately they didn't have one, but they needed a pastry chef. So just knowing me, I was like, well, I can make some pastries. And so I went there and um, just to get my foot in the door again, just to get in with a good company. And I think I, I did pastries with them for less than one year. And that's when Jonathan Hale who was my executive chef at the time came to me and offered me the sous chef position. And what really sucked about that was that there was another good friend of mine now that was working there and his name's Adam Godlove. And he had been working so hard to get that sous chef position and they offered it to me instead of him. And that was really hard for me, like really hard. Like one, I thought I was gonna lose a friend over it. And two, I just, I, I've never had a, I've never experienced anything like that before in my career. So, you know, Jonathan sat me down and said, Hey, look, you know, yeah, let me jump in real quick. Cause I'm yeah. interested in what you just said there, how yeah. hard it was for you. Did you doubt yourself over Adam? Was it Adam? Good love you. God love you said. Yes. Adam got No, it wasn't any doubt in my abilities. Um, I knew that I was ready. I just felt bad. I pure pure empathy for knowing how hard Absolutely. Adam had been grinding yes. and working and obviously how capable and deserving he was as well. Correct. It's and very John, interesting. Yeah. 
And they just, in Jonathan's eyes, he was like, you just, you have that, you have that something over him that he's like, I just, I have that more of that trust in you as being my number two, you know? Yeah. You said and, trust and trust and, and yeah. confidence, I think is key. And uh, go back to the why. Now this reoccurring theme is happening again, again, again. People keep believing in you and you keep just hustling through it and you don't have the training on all those things, but you're just going to fucking make it happen. So give exactly. me some of that why. Like, What was it that Jonathan said to you of, of his why for, for you or how you saw it manifest after time spent with Jonathan? Yeah, I think he just, you know, um, just saw everything that I did with like the pastry program and that I just would come in and, you know, I would even come in sometimes in my own time just to, to play with stuff, right? You know, like off the clock because at the time I was, you know, an hourly employee. And I would ask, hey, can I come in on my own time? Because I want to experiment with some fun ice creams and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, absolutely. He's like, you know, just don't hurt yourself because you're not on the clock, you know, that kind of thing. But um, I think he just saw in me that my drive, you know, and my desire to succeed. And I, at the time I had told him, you know, when I even applied that, I was like, I know that I'm ready to take on a position as sous chef. Like, you know, we all know what that position is. It's you do everything pretty much that the executive chef does, except maybe deal with the PNL and, you know, some of those financials. But honestly speaking, at, at Blue Point, I did. I still did all that. I did all the payroll. I did all, you know, all those things as a sous chef, you know. Um, but I just am forever grateful that he, you know, because him and he and Adam were friends, you know, friends outside of outside of the kitchen. And that he was even willing to, like, you know, sacrifice his friendship with Adam to just give me that opportunity. And, you know, fortunately, Adam took the higher road and he totally, he came up to me and even said, you know, shook my hand and said, you deserve this more than I do. He's like, you're killing it in here, you know? And so we're still friends to this day, you know, um, no, no burn bridges there whatsoever, no hard feelings, but you know, Jonathan just definitely, you know, he took me, took me under his wing. And again, you know, he didn't, I wouldn't say he wasn't one of those chefs that like, Hey, come, you know, come stand by me. I'm going to teach you how to do this. It was more of just in our conversations and our getting to know one another and, you know, he was a lot like me in the sense that he took, he takes very good care of himself. I mean, he's a black belt, you know, he does jujitsu and does all that martial arts. And he was, I think he toyed around with UFC for a minute. Um, he eats very well, you know, he's a clean eater. And so I just think that we, we bounce off each other in that aspect. Um, and then we just became very good friends. You know, it, you know, you spend a lot of time with your, your chef. It's like, we always joke that, you know, he was my married husband and I was his married, you know, like our, our working husband and working wife kind of thing, because we just had that kind of a bond, you know, and fortunately our families got to know each other. And, you know, to this day, we're very good friends. And I just, that dynamic he and I had is something I've, I've never had with anybody else. Yeah. There's this, these reoccurring threads that keep coming in. The fact that your family dynamic is something so important to you. And then once again, the people that brought you into their family or allowed you to bring them into your family are the ones that were the most important to you is, is yeah. very clear. So they, they, it's interesting because they're different, they're different iterations of the same fundamental thing that you're always looking for. And I think that is something so important for us to understand. That's part of our why. Like why we get out of the bed in the morning is to be in the service of people like you have just talked about. I think it's so important for people to think about that and recognize that the more that there's 
a strong foundation of those people, the better off we are. This is really good stuff, Jennifer. You are awesome. crushing it, I, making everybody I, proud. Can I sure. throw one more name in there? Because I'm going to feel Throw really all the names. I was literally I about to say, you know I'm going to throw you on the spot again. So I talk to me about all the people yeah. in San Diego that you remember as well. But give us, yeah, yeah give us some names. There's one, there's one woman that I completely forgot, or I, I wouldn't say I forgot about, that I just, I, I jumped over and she goes back to my time in um, Illinois and her name is um, Cheryl White. Um, she goes by Sherry, C-H-E-R-I, Sherry White. And she was another one that really um, gave me a huge stepping stone. So she owned at the time, it's no longer open, um, it was called State Street Coffee. And this was back in the time where I was a line cook at one restaurant and I needed a second job. And so I went to her as my second job um, just to be a barista part-time, you know, because it was close to home. I could walk there, that kind of thing. And through my, my time with her there, like within the first few months of, you know, she knew that I was a line cook at Harry's, which was like an upscale, well-known restaurant in, um, in Belleville, Illinois. Um, that she was very interested in like, you know, cooking and doing all these things. And she says, you know what, Jen, she goes, how would you feel about if we did some private dinners here? You know, if I gave you the opportunity to just, you know, put together some holiday menu, you know, for like for Valentine's day or whatever, you know, and we can just like, we're not open at night because we're typically only open during days for a coffee shop. But what if I gave you that platform to, to start dabbling with some of your own creations and this and that. And she totally did that for me. You know, and, I, and that's why I'm, I'm like, so I'm, I'm mad at myself that I didn't mention her sooner because she was huge and pivotal in, um, in that part of my becoming a chef is that was my first real chance at, you know, putting myself out there in front of 50 people that I don't know that I just cooked for and that I did that all by myself, you know, and she, she gave me that opportunity. And so I definitely what's, own her. What's own great her. and hard about this whole podcast is exactly that is that there's not enough time to talk about everybody right and that's what's really great is is there's so many people and the further you dig into who 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 was yeah. there was there was there was there you're like shit there's a lot of people how the hell am i going to talk about all these people so i think it's great from dad to tanya and sylvia patricia dan jonathan adam i mean all, all these people really really great to to be able to bring them in i know you're going to kick yourself and remember a whole bunch of other people's oh, yeah. names that were there along the way you make sure that they uh get their acknowledgement from you through this opportunity to kind of be a part of the the best served and unsung hospitality landscape i think it's only going to help us now i want to leave everybody with a quote some words to live by a little mantra that you gave us you said never stop exploring tell us what that means to take it out into the world and make it a better place absolutely so you know most people read that and it's you know stemming back to my outdoors um my connection with the outdoors so that's part of it um i you know i loved my time in colorado that was probably some of the four best years of my entire life because not only was it my first break from working in the rigorous you know life in the restaurant but it was my first time to have time for myself and cook for other people. But I also climbed a lot of mountains and I did a lot of just soul searching, spending a lot of time just outdoors. And, you know, exploration is like such a vast word. It's, it's more than just, you know, 
what we think exploring is like looking at something and going and seeing, you know, it's exploring like who we truly are and, you know, just the battles and the demons that we fight on a day-to-day basis because, you know, outwardly I look like a very happy and I've got my life together and I'm this and that, but I battle with a lot of, a lot of darkness, you know, a lot of anxiety and depression and never that, you know, I never want to fail. And I never, you know, every time that I do have a bad thing happen in my career, you know, it's like, what did I do wrong? What did I, you know, I did this to myself. I'm failing. I should have done this in my life instead of, you know, all those things. And the other part of the never stop exploring is also just that, like, I've come to realize that I am really good at what I do. So I, I never want to stop exploring my options as a professional or as a chef, you know, that's why I'm right now. I love cooking for people. I love cooking one-on-one. I love doing group classes. I love teaching people how to better themselves through nutrition and through cooking for themselves and cooking for their family, you know, and who knows where, where it's going to take me next. So just never stop exploring. Just don't give up. Those are great words for us all to hear a good philosophy. I love that it came full circle to exploring now and forever to where it started with you exploring with dad. Thank you, Jennifer Newbold for bringing some value to the conversation and shouting out a lot of your unsung hospitality heroes. Well, I thank you. This has been awesome. And that's been great. Even being able to hear your voice, it's been, been a long time. So I'm super, super proud of everything that you've been doing. And I look forward to seeing more of these unsung heroes. I think it's really awesome. Truly appreciate you. Cheers. Jennifer's given us some, some nice insights into the people that have been there along her journey. Lots of family it was really important to Jen and she was gracious enough to talk to us about a few of the chefs that have really had a major impact on her. And one specifically, Jonathan Hale, we have on the line. Jonathan, thanks for talking with us. Great to be here. Yeah, really appreciate uh, the dynamic. She used the word dynamic talking about your relationship and how you were the first people to really crystallize for her what it meant to be a chef. And so super interested in talking about that. But first, let's back up a little bit and tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you originally raised, born and raised? Well, I lived all over the world. I was born in India, adopted when I was a week old, lived in India until I was five, moved to London for 12 years, five to 17, then came to New York City when I was a senior in high school, went to college, did the college thing and then did culinary school for a couple of years and then out into the industry. First job was in, a, was in Aspen, Colorado as a chef, you know, as, as a prep cook, line cook. I moved all around Hawaii seven years and then circled back to the mainland and came to San Diego. So that's kind of a story in itself. Such a, yeah, I cannot wait to, to dig into that story when we have you on uh, for your episode. That's super great. I think it's interesting because we're such nomads kind of Ronin, almost, you know, masterless uh, through the Japanese wilderness and like assassins, I think is, a, is an interesting way to think about it sometimes. So you really- yeah, culinary mercenaries is what I like to 100%, say. A hundred percent. And you were living that from, from the get. So I think that's super fascinating. And then San Diego is really where, where you made your bones. I can appreciate that. I was uh, uh, born in, in Pasadena and I graduated high school from Vista High School in North County, San Diego. So love hearing from, uh, from the California roots for sure. Talk about your first job in the industry and, and how that came about and how you then decided this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. 
Well, I should backtrack for a second. My, my first actual restaurant job was back on the East Coast in Cape Cod where I was a waiter. You know, we started out just, just doing it as a gig for summer times just to make some money so we could party. And uh, one thing led to another. My friends are like, why don't we try and do a restaurant thing? You know, we're like 18, 19, 20 years old. But it never actually crystallized, but that set the seeds right there. You know, it was actually the same town that Anthony Bourdain started in. You know, he, he started in Provincetown. I started in Provincetown. He went to, to, to Bastor. I went to Hamilton, a rival school. He lived in New York. I lived in New York. So we had, early on, we lived overseas. We traveled a lot. So some of the influence, I think, came out from the cooking through all that. And it really kind of inspired me to, to work with people, you know, just, just get dirty, you know. So that, that's kind of the story right there. Bourdain is a pretty good guy to have uh, parallel paths with, I would say. In our I, I would, yeah, I mean, I, I'm in a very <laughs> small way. I'm very humble. I mean, I, I don't pretend to be Anthony Bourdain at any level. I just meant like, just similarly to, to get a timeline pattern of, of things yeah. that I've done. Understood. I like it. And so your waiter on the East Coast decided that restaurants was really for you. And then that evolved in quite a career. And like I said, we'll get into that into your episode. I am interested, though, what you're up to today and kind of where all of that long story has led you to. What are you doing currently? Currently, well, since I've been in town, just before 9-11, I got to San Diego. I'm working for the same restaurant group, Cohen Restaurant Group, all that time. Always been executive chef for them. First at Blue Point with Jan. And then the last 10 years, I've been uh, at the Prado in Balboa Park, which is a a landmark kind of a of a space the whole park is amazing and we're just blessed to, to be able to have an amazing restaurant there too um also responsible for some other smaller outlets there corvette diner is kind of a iconic place here in san diego we also have an outlet at the airport which i'm responsible for so i keep pretty busy every day but staying true to the roots i'm on the line every night for service that's one of the things specifically that uh, jennifer had mentioned and Let's get into that. So I want to talk about Jennifer specifically, some of the memories that you might recall, some of the wisdom that you passed on to her. And also, this is an opportunity. She did it, calling out a few of the people that she had worked with that she could recall. So as we're talking about Jen, anytime somebody's name that pops up, she talked about Adam Godlove that was working yeah. with you guys at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, blur, just blurt out their names. I want dishwashers and prep cooks and line cooks to hear their name in, in every single episode because I think they are truly the backbone that make everything possible. And, you know, when you ask me who the most important person in a restaurant is, dishwasher is always dishwasher. the first person that I mentioned. Their work touches everybody. Chef, we are just the one giving the opportunity and responsibility of leadership. So let's talk about Jen a little bit. Give us some of those early memories that you have. And like I said, let's, let's, let's name some other people in this process too. Sure. So go back to the Blue Point days. Um, Jen, I mean, I, I always had a feeling about Jen. She, was, she seemed kind of quiet in the beginning, but I knew that wasn't really Jen. There's a lot under the surface. You know, we had an opportunity when she, we hired her as a pastry, as a pastry chef. And, you know, anyone who can do pastries is automatic my hero because that's a whole different skill set. So let's take that, that part of it. And I was like, yeah, what, what could she do? No one really knew Jen. I was like with Steve Crozier, one of the sous chefs, you know, um, Paul Niles, another sous chef, kind of talking about maybe, and I was like, we had an opportunity, one of them left. I was like, this is a no-brainer to me. Everyone was surprised in the restaurant. I wasn't surprised. The only thing that surprised me that how good she was at the other side. She couldn't, she did savory better than she did sweet. You know I mean? She was an incredible pastry chef too. So she had all that creative stuff 
and that's only the, the half of it. The thing that really separates Jan, in my opinion, is that she has all that talent, but she works so damn hard. I mean, you're not going to outwork that lady either. I mean, she's not in it for the glory either. She's, she's getting dirty with us every day with all the cooks, Pablo Benitez, all the guys, you know, or at home, all these guys, like, these guys loved her, you know. Mexican guys usually don't love female authority figures. They loved her. So that, that tells you it right there. You know, we, we had an amazing family. We worked really hard, really long, and put out some amazing products, and we were really proud of it. So it was a special moment for me. Why do you think she was able to, to cut through that? I think that's fascinating. The dynamic in the kitchen, we touched on a moment where there was, there was somebody told her that the, the restaurant, the kitchen, cook, it wasn't woman, for women's work. You know, it was, it was a man's world type of situation. And, and she definitely is a badass and pushed right through that. So why do you think she was able to cut through some of that mochismo, some of that, that guy wow. energy in the kitchen? The one thing you gotta know about Jen is that she's hyper competitive. You tell her she can't do something, she's on it. You know, that's just like motivation for her. She eats after breakfast, you know. That that drive is and that passion is what, what makes Jen special, you know. Yeah, I mean you, someone told her that, she's like, Yeah, absolutely. And she's just gonna go get it now, you know. And she's gonna prove them wrong. I love that about Jen. Yeah, you see that her. kind of mentality in a lot of people that succeed in our industry is just you're going to do it no matter what. And if people push back against you, even better, it motivates you more. I, I love hearing that from you. How do you then as a chef cultivate that, nurture that, and focus that? Because that's a lot of energy that can get pushed in, in a lot of positive ways or a lot of negative ways as well if it's not really focused and refined. So how do you go about that as a chef, as a leader? As, as a leader, I, I believe in the team concept. So we're, we're all equal parts. We just have different roles to play. Like, like kind of a baseball lineup. There's leadoff hitters, a cleanoff, a cleanup batter. Everyone's got, everyone's equally as important, like you said, Jensen. Dishwashers all the way up, you know. So I think we take the ego out of it as much as possible. Then people can really work together. I think that we're very successful in doing that. Because Jen's food is amazing. But she was also really humble, you know. And if she weren't humble, I think that would have been a difference. We wouldn't be having this conversation, to tell you the truth. So, you know, I really think that that's really the, the difference maker. As a and, with, and with Jen... Give us, uh, give us some of those early days, some of maybe the more practical things that you really had to instill and teach. I, I think about stories where chefs talk about, you know, never coming to the kitchen with a dull knife. And then years later that sous chefs are now telling their commie cooks and their interns, hey, never have a dull knife. What are some of those isms that you maybe imparted early on uh, into Jen and then continue to do so with other cooks? I mean, I like to say with Jen that I, that I taught her a whole lot. I, I think I learned as much from Jen as, as, as maybe I, I showed Jen. You know, I, it's hard to put a real ism on anything. I, I would say, though, the, the idea of leading people, you know, firm, fair, consistent, compassionate, kind, leading by example. I, I think Jen had all those things in her already. But to see someone else do it and be successful, I think what she needed to see. And at that stage, I was, I was, I was, I was the number one in the restaurant. And I was trying to leave, live by example. So uh, I, I think that's how I, I would describe that. You know? So you put Jen in a, in, a, in a leadership role in her own right and, and gave her that opportunity. Tell us some of the things that you saw that really worked really well for her as far as her leadership style. And even maybe some of the things that you tried to, to teach her to, to evolve that. Because I know early on it can be challenging when you get put in a leadership role the first time. You kind of are holding on too tight. Let me talk about that dynamic a little bit with her first leadership opportunity. 
Um, well, Jen, Jen had a unique opportunity because she'd cover my days off. So she'd actually be the number one. It'd be her restaurant on Sundays and Mondays, you know, with the other sous chef. And so how they ran it, you know, was, it could have been the same, it could have been different. But when I got back every Tuesday, the vibe was really positive. So I, I think Jen understood that she, she was part of the team. She, while she was a leader, she had to still be humble, even though her food was amazing. You know, that I think, think that was a little bit of a lesson for her, not a lesson, but an opportunity for all of us to remain humble. Because when customers are telling you how great you are, and servers are telling you how great you are, you know, it's hard to stay humble. You know, and chefs are notorious for big egos. You know, so I think staying grounded is, is the thing I think that Jen, Jen really was very good at doing, you know, through all of that. Yeah, for you, that, that trust and confidence is such a big thing. Those are two words I use a lot. And a challenge myself I've had many times of how do you separate yourself personally from how, the way that you kind of bottle that secret sauce of leadership of the team, as you mentioned, that continuity that you're trying to create. What is that for you to walk out of your kitchen that does have your name attached to it for two days, which is an eternity in a restaurant, and to have the trust and the confidence? Like, what does that feel like to you, and how do you practically go about that, knowing all the challenges that are faced when you're there, let alone when you're not? Well, you, you, you said it right there, Jensen, the word trust. I mean, trust is so, it's so easy to talk about, it's so hard to do, you know? And I think I learned along the way that people trusted me, and I always wanted to make it better than when my boss was there. That was always my motivation, and, and it's still my motivation, even though I'm the number one in the kitchen, you know? And, and I think Jen has the same exact attitude. Yeah, as, as great as Jonathan Hale may be, I want to make it better. So people are like, it's so much better, you know, like in a positive way, not a negative way. And I think, I think that's, where the, that's where you can really build the trust because you know that person cares, that has the passion, really cares like that. And, you know, I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, care is a good word. Uh, you know, Chef Thomas Keller says, treat it like it's yours and someday it will be. And I think that care is, is clearly on display. Now you mentioned it, she mentioned it. You, you're, a, you're a line dog, you wanna be in there. You wanna be scuffed up knuckles, singed hair on your arm. Love that. How does the kitchen make you feel? What is that connection that you have, that bond that is clearly just unbreakable for you? Yeah, you know, it's so funny, but I'm in my, my mid 50s. When I was in my mid 30s, I was just starting out as a chef, I was like, when I get to 40, I want to be off the line. And when I got to 40, I'm like, you have it all backwards. You got to find a job that you can still lead, develop, and be creative, but you can stay on the line. You know, so I've always wanted to be that. For me, it's, it's knives and fire, it's a thrill, it's a little bit of pressure, it's the teamwork at the end of the day, though, I think that really keeps me, uh, keeps me coming back for more. It's like fresh every day. You know, those are teammates. Those are your teammates. There's no one more important in those few hours than those people in my world. You know, absolutely love, love hearing that, Jonathan. It's funny, a, a joke about when you're a dishwasher, you want to be a prep cook. When you're a prep cook, line cook, line di uh, sous, sous chef, chef, owner, owner, you just want to wash dishes and shuck fava beans. Yeah, that's <laughs> think, about the size of it. I'm all in on that. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's great. So you talked about that team again and again. Absolutely. Co-sign with that 100%. It's so, so important. So who are some of the people today that are keeping you motivated? I'd love for them to be able to hear their name shout out who are some of the people today that are just keeping you hungry in the kitchen well i like to talk about my team a lot you know i mean i, I kind of i kind of brag about our team 
because we've been together for so long. I've, I've got five sous chefs and we've all been together 10 years. I'm trying to kick them out to go other places, but for whatever reason, they don't want to leave yet. You know, and I think what that speaks to is the brotherhood, the family, the, you know, the, just the feeling we have for each other. We're, we fight a lot for sure. And that's because we all care. You know, if we didn't fight, it would be like, we were just mailing it in. But, but people like, um, you know, John King, Gene Diaz, Daryl Park, Jay Jacobs, Jose Vargas. Those, those, those are the core guys that, you know, that, that, I, that I go to war with every, every day. You know, we, we do battle like in, in a positive way, trying to lead people and change lives, you know. So uh, those are the people that, that keep me going. They are absolutely the unsung hospitality heroes is something we talk about. I think the more we spend acknowledging, recognizing, and celebrating people at every single level, the better off our industry will be. Jonathan Hale, clear that you are living that into 55, mid 50, excuse me, years young and many years to come. Thank you for your mentorship of somebody like Jennifer bringing that level of talent into our industry and everybody else that you've cultivated, I'm sure, over the years. You're doing big things, my friend. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much, Jens. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.